Thanks for tuning in. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech, produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. And if you've been following along, you'll know that we kicked this year off with a mini-series co-starring my friend and colleague, Aaron Harris, chief editor over at Cell and Gene, which you can find at cellandgene.com. You'll also know that said mini-series focused on executives from a handful of companies on the front lines of Cell and Gene Therapeutics. We plan to continue covering leaders in this space, and as we do, I'm going to invite Aaron back on the show to help with the interrogations. Today is just one of those days. Aaron, it's great to see you, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to be here. Yeah, and as per usual, I thank you for continuing to risk your professional integrity through association with yours truly. (laughs) Uh, so, <laughs> so production scalability and cost are two recurring themes in our discussions about the promise of cell therapies. And today we're talking with the leader of one company that's challenging itself to change the cost and scalability paradigms of CAR-T therapeutic production. The company is called Presigen, and its CEO is Dr. Helen Sabzavari. When Dr. Sabzavari was appointed CEO of the company, spun out of Intrexon last year, she brought with her a wealth of experience gained in positions, including SVP of Immuno-Oncology and Global Head of Research and Early Development at EMD Serono, co-founder and CSO at Compass Therapeutics, and most recently, SVP of Human Therapeutics and Head of R&D at Intrexon. Dr. Savsavari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. It's a great pleasure to be with both of you today. Thanks. Yeah, the the pleasure is all ours. And I I think, you know, as I was running through that that brief kind of high-level overview of your CV, I think I might have missed some. So you, uh, at Intrexon, you went from SVP of Human Therapeutics and Head of R&D at Intrexon to President at Presigen and and then CEO. Isn't that, is that right? Did I Yes, yes. Um, uh, Presigen was the health, uh, basically, subsidiary of Intrexon at the time that I joined. And uh, I became a president of Presigen, really focusing on a health asset. As you know, Intrexon used to be a much uh, larger uh, organization that uh, used the gene and DNA synthesis for a variety of um indication, not just only in health, but in agriculture and energy and so on and so forth. Uh, However, obviously, due to my background, I focused on uh, biotech uh, part of this and the health. And uh, in uh, late 2017, uh, 2018, based on the way we move the platforms forward and the portfolio of the health uh, portion, it became very evident that uh, this was uh, quite valuable for patients as well as for our investors. And as a result of that, finally in 2020, um, the Presigen basically became the main focus and Intrexon reverted to Presigen and I was appointed as the CEO of Presigen. So, Dr. Sabzavari, this is one of the fascinating things about, uh, I think, the space that you're in is that, like, you know, from my perspective, I look at your company as one that is not only producing a therapeutic, but is building a therapeutic production technology, right? I mean, it's a, it's like 
two very, <laughs> very tall orders, very challenging things to do. So, um, and it's, you know, un unlike many in the pharmaceutical space and even biopharmaceutical space, where they're just solely focused on the therapeutic. So tell us about that. I, I, I guess start to kind of uh, un unwrap for us what the what the platform itself uh, is, the ultra poor, you pronounce it for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it's it wrong the ultra car and ultra parader. And okay. uh, the platform really goes back to the concept of using your own T cells or immune cells, uh, and then genetically modifying them in such a way that they can recognize the tumor that exists in the body of the patient. And uh, we have referred to these as ultra car compared to some of the other the car conventional cars, as I like to call them. And the difference is. Major, the field has moved toward the, obviously, the cell and gene therapy. This is the cutting edge for the 21st century. Actually, I always have considered that post-checkpoint inhibitors, this is the cutting edge for the immuno-oncology and oncology field. Uh, clearly, the promise has been shown that you can activate your own T-cells and genetically modify them maybe with one gene to recognize the uh, expression of a car and recognize the tumor in the body. But the issues at the heart of this has been, first of all, the concept of taking your own T cell, sort of transfect them uh, or infect them with the lentiviruses and express a card that can recognize the antigen on a tumor that it's inside the body of the patients. Uh, and that, even though has shown a great promise, especially in the hematological diseases, has uh, unfortunately been unsuccessful in a solid tumors. And it, as we see, even in a hematological uh, tumors like ALLs, uh, uh, that has become an approved therapy the reality is, uh, is not being used that much uh, because of the, first of all, the time that it takes and manufacturing um, uh, complexity that is associated with it outside. And uh, secondly, the price tags. So when we were looking and, uh, at the platforms uh, within uh, Presagen and advancing uh, the platform or non-viral platform, to address some of these exact issues. So for the lack of better, you know, in regard to the CAR-Ts, I always look at the CAR-Ts or T-cells as the army of your body. It's, it's just as simple as that. What you do is you take it out and you introduce a CAR, which is basically, uh, it's capable of recognizing a certain antigen on a tumor. So it's, if I have to say it this way, you're taking an army that perhaps has not been trained very well, you're training them, and you expand them outside uh, to hundreds of millions, for instance, and then you put them back to basically see the enemy within, which is your tumor. That's the very simple way of putting it. Now, the cost of First of all, the platform that takes to train that army and give them the genetic material that needs is the lentiviruses. These are done, these transfection are done in manufacturing uh, sites. 
and uh, which is you have to send it to somewhere. They have to expand them. They have to QC them. And then it takes months upon months. And then they return this army back to the patient. Now, there are a number of issues associated with this. First of all, the time that it takes. Secondly, being virally transfected, um, it takes time. You can only do it in certain GMP facilities. Uh, it takes more than four weeks sometimes, and uh, it's associated with a very high cost. And this is one of the reasons that you see the costs that are associated with the uh, regular CAR-T therapy, cell therapies, uh, anywhere between $350,000 to $500,000 for one dose, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the issue is there is also manufacturing um, failures. So putting all of that together, when we were looking at this uh, therapy, we realized that in order to really have precision therapy such as CAR-T therapies for the patients for every indication, you need to do a number of things. First, make it much easier that you build this army much faster that you can transfer it to the patient, which means the manufacturing has to become much easier, shorter, and precise. The second part was you have to be able to make this available to all patients because it's in as a drug developer, my always commitment is to a patient. And whatever treatments we make, it has to be something that is accessible to all patients all around the world. And with these kind of uh, platforms that existed, that made it very impossible with that price tag. Half a million dollars to receive one dose. Right. Majority of the insurances. Um, would not cover it, and then only certain individuals can basically um, get this um, treatment. So with those, we sort of put the platform and we realized the deficiencies of all the platforms that existed, and uh, we put a path that what do we need to do to address these issues? And based on that, we started really uh, moving and marching toward changing the platforms in such a way that, first of all, you can genetically now manipulate the T-cells from a patient directly with uh, plasmids and deliver these plasmids non-virally at the setting of the hospital. The reason hospitals cannot do any kind of viral transfection because it's a clean room in a hospital. And we recognize that and we change the platforms. There were a number of issues with the efficiency of the non-viral, for instance, manufacturing, which had we had to overcome. And that's exactly what we had done in the past uh, two years. And we overcome those deficiencies that FDA had recognized and they really, for instance, cell viability, it's a major issue. Non-viral uh, usually were associated with low viability of the cells after transfection. Um, also QCing these cells. Drug homogeneity is very important. What do I mean by that? Um, the way to explain it is if you are building a uniform army, 
it has to be a uniform army. They all have to be trained the same way. They all have to express the same genes. If half of them express one thing and the other half express something else, then it's a heterogeneic population that you're putting back. And that's not acceptable because it's not really controlled. And so all of those issues that currently the cell therapies and gene therapy um, uh, treatments are dealing with, those were at the top of our list. And we, one by one, we started addressing them. And we came up with the concept of an ultra car, which basically what it is and the way it works, uh, the patient walks into the clinic. The patient's T-cells gets an apheresis and you have the T-cells in the afternoon. We have now designed the vectors, ultra vectors that contain three genes. One gene is for the recognition of the tumor. Another gene is what we refer to as membrane bound IL-15. And what I refer to that as a backpack for these T-cells. It uh, provides what its necessity for these T-cells or this army to maintain itself in a case that they don't see the antigen or the enemy. And once they see that, they can expand very rapidly and also persist with this expression of this gene and signaling. And finally, what we have there is a safety switch, a key, what we refer to it as a kill switch. What is that? It's simply, if these cells for any reason go out of line if you, and you need to eliminate them, you can eliminate them. So it reduces the safety issues and toxicities for the patient. So that's our ultra card platform. And then we went a step further. The, instead of sending this somewhere to be prepared and spend uh, $300,000, $400,000 for expansion of this in a decentralized fashion. We made a non-viral delivery mechanism that overnight these cells are transfected in a clean room of a hospital or bone marrow facility, anything that hospital is clean room. And then the next day they are QC'd and transferred directly to the patient. And the reason we can do that is because we have now genetically engineered this in such a way that they can expand directly in the patient and you don't need to manufacture them outside. Within control, they can expand within a patient. And basically you just take the cells of the same patient and next day you return it back to them. And as they are in the patient, they start to expand when they see the tumor. And the ultraparator was the third step that we brought in. The concept for us was manufacture overnight without expansion, but then you have to reduce the time, obviously, if you want to do that. And the, all of the platforms that currently exist for non-viral transfection especially when you want to scale up and take a large army to be trained or large number of T cells to be transfected, you have, it takes hours upon hours for that transfection. Every time that the technician has to do hours of things, it can introduce uh, problems, failures. We the, basically, um, 
got a device internally. We developed this uh, in conjunction with the, with the company that we had hired for engineering of it. And what we have done is now this is a semi-closed device that you can put 4 billion T-cells in a cartridge and under 12 minutes, it transfects the plasmids with the genes of your interest directly into these. And it washes it, put it in the bag, and you put it in an incubator. The next day it's QC and it's returned back to the patient. So now what we have done is made this manufacturing even more scalable and commercially viable because the end result of this platform should be that the vision is a patient walks into any hospital or cancer center. Once the oncologist recognizes what disease indication it is, they can basically tell their clean room, please pull this plasmid with this car because I'm treating an AML patient, I'm treating a pancreatic patient or a lung patient. We have different plasmid for different ones. Overnight, it's transfected, uh, nuclear transfected with the ultra operator. And the next morning, the patient receives the exact card that is needed for that indication. Why is so powerful? Because the diversity, the short period of time, we have made this platform to be um, autologous to the patient with the ease of off the shelf, actually, overnight. Uh, it's as easy as injecting an antibody, actually, in, in that sense. And uh, finally, it is important because you have to be able to do this not in one center in the United States or two centers, but in any centers. And uh, currently, as our clinical trials are running the, in two different centers, for instance, our CMC and manufacturing groups does not do this. The technicians in the hospitals, they do this. And that was very important to show. So we are very excited about this platform, which is truly, it's a cutting edge platform. It reduces the cost tremendously because you are not uh, manufacturing long. The type of the cells that you are putting in, they are much younger and more active. You can redose the patients as many times as you want. And the price tag is nothing like half a million dollars, which does not allow to do that at all. And the patients, by the way, depending on a disease or a change in the course of the disease, they can re uh, basically get different type of cars. So that's the breadth of this uh, technology. And that's what it makes us so excited and passionate about uh, where we are with this whole platform and how we have evolved it to get to where it is. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Aaron, I feel as though Dr. Sabzavari is the easiest interview you could ever ask for because you ask one question and she, and she gives you a very linear 
an analogy filled, very clear understanding of like your next 15 questions. A hundred percent. I said, we can, we can wrap up now. This is, you've, you've provided <laughs> so much actionable information and answered every question we have, but I have to say that you, so you, you know, you mentioned it as exciting and cutting edge, cutting edge doesn't even begin to explain it. This is beyond anything that we have even covered or talked about, um, certainly from, you know, in Cell and Gene, um, you know, just the, the depth and the breadth of what you're able to do in your, in a very, very, in hours versus weeks and cutting the cost from hundreds of thousands to a fraction of that. Um, what, explain again, what, what are the range of therapies that this is going to, that the, rapid manufacturing will be able to enable. I feel like this is going to change the whole sector forever. I mean, who else is doing this? Yeah. Now, uh, excellent. And you're right. This truly, it's unique. The, um, when the first time we uh, started moving this forward, especially for uh, toward the clinic, and uh, we took it to the FDA. FDA referred to this as first in mankind. And um, in the field that, well, there are many things are me too's as well <laughs> with the different, uh, a little bit of changes. This is truly was first. And for us even developing it, and when uh, in, uh, a couple of years ago when we started uh, advancing these platforms, uh, the concept was so exciting, but also can we get there with the manufacturer? Can we advance this platform and the device and build this device that can do this? Uh, and you're right that it really is unique. And that's why it differentiates us from any other company that currently are out there because everybody else has the same length uh, virus platform. Now, maybe they do some editing, gene editing, and they do the off the shelf, which still you have to manufacture it, it's still limited doses, and still all of the issues that are uh, connected with the price tag and uh, even with the tremendous lymphodepletion that uh, goes there. I think this platform uh, truly is unique that addresses all of that. And uh, in JP Morgan, we just um, introduced our vision, uh, the car library vision, which I was just explaining that basically you can walk into the clinic and next day have a tailor-made car tea for yourself. And if six months from now, God forbid, someone has a tumor that has a tumor escapee and heterogeneity in the antigen. Now, the first car has done maybe cleaned up 30 or 40% of that tumor, and they need to go back with a different car. You can just go back. And these patients can have cells that have been frozen, for instance, T cells that can be, again, um, used for the CAR T overnight, or they can be a freeze again and then have a different car next morning and receive that. So, in that aspect, the diversity of this platform, the ability and flexibility of it, no other platform allows um, to be uh, coming close to that. To give you an example, 
Uh, even the off the shelf that they say, well, they use one donor and they can use it across everybody. The best that can be done at these points are manufacturing is for 100 patients. They have to go back to the remanufacturing with the long terms. But if you want to create a library of those cars for 20 different indications, for instance, can you imagine the complexity? First of all, the price tag for generation of them, the complexity of a storage and the fact that their life is um, not, you know, it's limited of these cells. Whereas in our cases is vials of plasmid <laughs> and it's sitting on a shelf. This is a DNA plasmid that, uh, as we all know, it can almost uh, last forever on a shelf. And uh, then you can do it overnight. And to the point that you made, oncology is one part of this. Sure. The same thing can be now used in a lot of other rare diseases, in autoimmune diseases, and uh, I think uh, even infectious diseases um, that uh, we have not been able to completely solve uh, or the issues. And I think to your point, this is a platform that has a lot uh, to offer across different diseases. So, Dr. Sabzavari, I want to I want to pose another question to you about scalability, and I, I don't I, I'm 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 struggling uh, with with how to word it. I don't I don't. Uh, well, I'll just put it like this, right? So, your what you describe takes this manufacturing, quote unquote, manufacturing environment, if you will, and it 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 moves it uh, in in essence to a, a clean room in in a right, hospital. In a hospital. Right in a hospital. So. Uh, well, for, first, I've got a series of questions, but the, the first one is, are hospitals ready for this? Uh, you know, you're, you're transferring uh, the, the, the responsibility, the cost, albeit a, a, a smaller cost, the expertise, right, the, the intellectual property, the process. You're transferring this to a distributed environment in clean rooms and hospitals. That's a pretty big paradigm shift. Are, are hospitals ready? Yeah. So uh, this is... Um the answer to that, I would say, is yes, because uh, it's the same thing as a bone marrow transplant. When they were doing the bone marrow, when originally people came out with the bone marrow transplant, oh, my God, how, how does the hospital going to do a bone marrow transplant? It was the exact same thing. There are SOPs that are written, and how do you basically take the bone marrow from a donor and separate the cells, and then uh, you prep the patient, the recipient, and you transfer it. And they, by the way, they need a clean room, and they need, um, and that's why the clean rooms exist actually in hospitals for a number of these kind of studies. Bone marrow transplant has become, as you know, it's just a routine thing practically. All of the centers uh, are doing this. Mm -hmm. So when we were advancing this uh, platform, this all of the questions that you put forward, this was also, we knew that we had to make it so easy that it can be transferred very simply. It doesn't require a force of, um, let's say, manufacturers and CMC um, uh, professionals that has to be present in every hospital. And then the drug product, in a way, at the end is the cells. But the reality for those steps in between when we use the plasmid or the ultraoperator, for instance, 
It has to be so easy that can be done in smaller hospitals, larger hospitals, hospitals that have a smaller clean room or not. And uh, that's how we started. And actually, we have put it in currently in two centers at the Fred Hodge UW and at Moffitt Cancer Center for our AML trial and ovarian trial is in Fred Hodge UW. And I think um, Dr. Nora Desis, uh, who is the PI on, especially on our ovarian cancer, uh, and uh, UW have a very interesting uh, video uh, on their side. And I really recommend it to people that they speak about this process and how they have used it. Yeah. So, Dr. Sobs, if I re- repeat where, where our listeners can find that video real it's quick. It's um, um, Dr. Nora Deeses and her team at UW, okay. the University of Washington in Seattle and, uh, and uh, Fred Hodge. And they have a, a video that uh, it's about their facility, but they actually highlight their Presigen program because of the ease and the uniqueness of it that they can use it. And their group is using it for treating the ovarian cancer patients there. So, uh, and to that point, we made it, um, the SOPs in such a way that you can easily transfer to these centers. And then they do a dry runs before they start the, uh, the trial. And now for the past year and a half, they have been doing this and in neither of the sites, our manufacturing, or I should say their manufacturing has been 100%. And for instance, the ultra vectors, they are in the vials and they use it as they need. The ultra operator, now the unit, uh, which in some of our slides we uh, show them, it's basically, it's a device, it's a semi-closed with the iPad and all the operator has to do, everything is programmed. You just press the button on the iPad and mm-hmm. it does transfect that 4 billion cells in under 12 minutes. Yeah, it sounds, it sound, it, I mean, it just sounds too good to be true, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does, but one of the things that I always say when I show our slides, I say, by the way, I have to tell people that as we speak, this is happening. They are treating the patients and they are doing those manufacturings directly. So, and by the way, we also uh, in December and at JP Morgan, we showed the data from preliminary data from um, both uh, patients ovarian cancer as well as our uh, AML patients, that these cells actually, when they go inside, they expand and they persist. And well, uh, so yeah. that is what it changes the paradigm. That, that, yep, I was just going to say that that's clutch. That's that's that is where uh, where I was going to go next because the proof's in the data. So we'll, you know, I'm sure, especially after hearing a, a conversation like this, everyone will be wanting to uh, pay attention to the data coming out of Presigen. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Dr. Sabzavari, speaking of the patients, so the patients who are currently in these trials and who are receiving the treatment. What do they have to say about this? They're experiencing something very different from other people in, you know, who are receiving CAR T therapy. What 
what do they have to say about this? I think this is uh, one of the uh, uniqueness uh, of this uh, technology. For instance, in our ovarian cancer patient, and especially ovarian cancer is extremely close to my heart, uh, as there is really no treatments uh, out there. And these patients have failed six to nine prior uh, Mm -hmm. treatments. Uh, They are extremely sick. And um, I think the ease of uh, this, the fact uh, of uh, basically being viable and uh, being there for these patients to be transferred in a timely fashion, as you can imagine, uh, these patients don't have that much time. Um, One of our investigators, especially on AML, they showed the data of one of our AML patients at ASH as a case study. And this patient, for instance, uh, had entered two hospice. And uh, when um, they heard of this and they were enrolled, the patient received their own cells overnight uh, and very small amount. And uh, they reported on this patient case study that seven months later, the patient had uh, stable uh, disease and uh, showed these cells, CAR-T's ultra-CAR had expanded and they were uh, still persisting in the blood. So I think uh, we are still at the earliest stages of the clinical trial and at the lower doses. Um, I want to be also very uh, clear and uh, uh, factual that we still have to go to higher doses and then eventually to the larger patient population for the efficacy, because that's where you see your efficacy, really not in your phase one, but definitely is very encouraging. And I think the fact that for some of the patients, like in the AML population, these patients, especially above 65 and 70, they have months to live, not years. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine if you go with the regular manufacturing that CAR-Ts, TCRs, or even the off-the-shelves, uh, with this, it takes just a month and a half to two months just to provide them the cell product, if they can provide at the end. Whereas at least in this setting, uh, we can uh, overnight do this. And that was one of the reasons that we went to this indication, which is one of the toughest indications, by the way, because the um, very short period of time that you have and uh, unfortunately the patients have. So I think patients are very excited uh, to enroll uh, in this. And we are really uh, committed to provide a kind of a therapy for these patients that there is really nothing out there. It's, uh, you know, I, I've got one more question and then we're going to have to wind things down for time here, Dr. Sabzavari, although I feel like I could uh, converse with you all afternoon. I'm sure Aaron feels the same way. Absolutely. Um, but getting back to a question I asked earlier about the paradigm shift in like manufacturing locale and the logistics, uh, it's unlike, you know, anything that, uh, that, that we've, that we've seen. Um, and it's also unlike anything that I, I dare say regulatory authorities have seen, right? So if there's an organization in the world that has been pressed to keep up with an industry 
from a regulatory standpoint, it's the FDA. Um, I mean, especially in this this day and age, you know, of of, of COVID and speed and, and agility. I can imagine that when they look at a company like yours, uh, they are faced with some challenges of their own. How do we go about applying traditional, historic, regulatory, you know, tenets to a company that's doing something so out of the ordinary? Um, so, so share your perspective on that with us. What have you? What have you been challenged by? What have you seen? How have you worked with regulatory authorities to kind of move move them along with you as you've as you've developed the platform? Yeah, no, excellent question. You're absolutely right. Uh, science continuously moves, and I think our regulatory organizations have this challenge continuously. It's it's nothing new. Uh, it has been there. It's going to continue to be there, and my hope is to continue for centuries to be there because that's the concept of our uh, advancement of science. For us, I think it was very important that early stages, we had uh, preliminary meetings uh, with uh, our uh, FDA uh, and regulatory uh, colleagues. And I think this was very important to, um, for both sides to be educated on something that is completely new, but at the same token, what are the most important things that needs to be addressed? And also what are the requirements of the FDA for the future? For instance, the ultraparator or the drug homogeneity that I, this was one of the things that our investigators and our KOLs uh, very upfront were discussing with our uh, FDA. Um, uh, and uh, how should the drug product look like? Mm -hmm. um, and um, right now, a lot of companies are suffering from that, especially in a cell therapy, gene therapy, because it's a mixture. And of course, FDA requires a homogeneity. So when a lot of things we did in advance in discussions with the FDA and in preliminary meetings uh, to address uh, the concerns and the questions. And then also, uh, when we talk about moving the platform toward a, a scaling up and commercially viable, that was another part. For instance, what does the manufacturing would look like if you are, have to scale up to billions of cells and then you have to reduce the time and increase the viability? So I would say, um, I think those are important discussions. It's continuously you have to... Um, be in touch, discuss, and uh, for me has been to anticipate what will come in a six months, in a year, in two years. If you anticipate correctly with the right information, then you will be ready and the platform moves rapidly. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times the companies, uh, they would take a platform to a certain stage without advancing it or without those discussions, and then it gets stuck. Yeah. So those are one of the aspects. I was just last week on a panel with uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, um, former FDA, and also a number of my colleague CEOs, and that was exactly the topic, that how do we move both FDA and the companies more uh, with a more agility uh, toward the treatments that can be approved for the patients. And uh, this was exactly at the center and heart of it that how to interact with the FDA 
and uh, make sure that uh, they are informed as well as they are part of your conversation. Yeah, uh, th- those you know, two of those points around early engagement and anticipation of, of, of what that engagement might, might look like are sound pieces of advice for, for any emerging uh, biotech. Thank you for that. So uh, I'm going to give you two minutes and I'm going to hold you to it uh, <laughs> on to, to wrap things up. Two minutes on the next big step for, for Presagen. I think uh, from our perspective is our ultra car expansion, finishing the dose escalation expansion, not only in ovarian cancer AML, but to other indication, which we are very excited. And one other things that we are extremely excited is our adenoverse uh, platform, that this is another set of treatments that actually educates your own immune system this time directly inside your body. And uh, it's, uh, currently we have a trial at NCI for uh, HPV, which we are very, very excited and it's moving rapidly forward. So a lot to come, I would say, with our uh, innovative platforms. And uh, we would be really, we are committed for the patients and this is what we do and that's where we are doing what we do. So we are looking forward to bring innovative treatments to our patients. Awesome. I've really enjoyed the conversation, Dr. Salisbury. Same here. Thank you so much for having me and thank you again. And thanks uh, to all of your listeners. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. And we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on, on Presagen and we'll hope to have you back again soon. Thank you very much. Thank be happy. Bye-bye. So that's Dr. Helen Sabzavari and Aaron Harris. I'm Matt Filler, and this is The Business of Biotech, produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, an organization I encourage any young biotech to check out at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. I also encourage you to visit cellengene.com and bioprocessonline.com, where you can subscribe for free to the newsletters that Aaron and I produce. Speaking of subscriptions, if you like the business of biotech, please subscribe to it and give us five stars on your favorite pod platform. In the meantime, thanks for listening.